Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Heavenland Devotions, or else known as the Little Green Pasture. I pray everybody is having a good day today or evening, depending on when you're watching this. Well, as usual, I am going to get started right away with prayer. And I would ask that you join me in honoring our Lord. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you today. And it's you, Lord, that I lift up my voice to. That I seek you today, Lord. That you would make yourself known. And make yourself heard. And realized. In the words that will be spoken, Lord. I pray that you move out in front of me. And go before me like you always did with your disciples many occasions you went before them and they were to meet you there so prepare my way and i ask for your hand of blessing upon me and moreover your hand of blessing upon all those lord god and whomsoever these words will feed or light will shine lord be very present in this message that I believe I receive from you and just the humble, quiet moments during a day or two ago. In Jesus' name, I give you praise and thanksgiving and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to you guys today about what it means to be shaped by something. All of us have been shaped in our lives from childhood, through growth, through life, through friends, through tragedies, losses, joys. But there are things that have shaped us our whole life. About three days ago, the scripture came into my mind. Now, I had seen the scripture many years ago and every time i come across it there's one word that sticks out to me and over the last year or two i thought one day i'm going to teach that or share it somehow but you know what's of the lord when it comes to you and i had other things in mind that i would teach but this thing like a little cork on the it's just you know you try to hold something down and it pops back up that's what it felt like so i of course, acquiesce to the Holy Spirit. And the scripture I'm taking is from Psalm 51, 1 through 5. We're all familiar with this chapter where David commits the sin of not only adultery, but he has a good man killed and a woman gets his wife gets pregnant by him and he's found out by Nathan the prophet and he tried to do all these things to hide it because he was the king and he had powers to do that but it took a man Nathan the prophet who came to him and told him a little story and he was convicted and cut down even in his kingship 
I'm going to read the words to you. And I'm going to give room to the Holy Spirit to move. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against thee and thee only have i sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest behold i was shaped in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me behold thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom You know, we look at David, he was a young boy when he was called. When other people older than him and mightier than him were chosen. And he went on to become the king of Israel, the undivided kingdom. And we all know that David was known as a man after God's own heart. And when, you know, we read the Psalms, we read who truly David was, the kind of man that he was. Yes, his heart was, he had a, he was after God's own heart by his own heart. But here is this, this moment in his life. Yes, you could read about these different things throughout all the Psalms where he did all these different things where he knew he disappointed God or hurt other people or felt guilty for this or was accused of that. But it is this one defining moment. It is this one absolute defining moment of this great king. And he says, he starts off by saying, have mercy upon me. I want to talk about that little story for a second. Nathan came to him that day and he said, I'm going to loosely paraphrase this. I don't have it before me, but you could always research it. But Nathan, one day after he had Uriah killed and Bathsheba was pregnant, Nathan came to him and said, I have something I want to bring before you. David says, well, go ahead, say on. And he said, well, there's a man who's well off. He's, he's wealthy. Um, and a, a visitor came to his house and he didn't have anything to set before him. He was not expecting any visitors. So he went over to a poor man's house and he took that poor man's lamb. And this lamb was like unto him, like a little daughter that ate at his table, it slept with him. And then somebody came and took that lamb from that man. And you know, the story obviously is very sad. It's very, you know, in the eyes of a king, which 
is going to be a judicial reply. David says something to this effect. Tell me who that man is and I'll have him. I'll deal with him. And he said, and I think he said that man will die. I think that's what he said. And he said, you're the man. You are that man. You're that, you're that man. And that was the moment. That crushing blow. That he received from the throne of God through Nathan the prophet. And so we have him saying the first thing is, have mercy upon me, O God. And he's beseeching him, obviously. I read that first part according to loving kindness and the multitude of his tender mercies. And he's acknowledging that he has transgressions and he's got iniquity and he has sin. And, you know, iniquity is the practice of it. Iniquity there's sin, which is a blatant, in-your-face rebellion against God, doing something that you know full well God does not like. That is sin. Transgressions are where you do something and you're quite not sure that you actually did something against somebody, but in the act of something that you've done, you did transgress against a person. But when he says, <clears throat> wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, Iniquity is a practice of it. And so we're looking at this king and we're and we're looking at this man who's knows the knows God. He had spent time with God. We hear all of his prayers while he was being pursued by Saul. And in all these different ways, we're seeing this beautiful, beautiful young man who kept himself upright and and turned not away from God's laws and her, his laws. And he uh kept himself you know, before the Lord. But there was something in him because he's acknowledging he claims my transgressions, mine iniquity, and my sin. And he acknowledges, he's like, my sin is ever before me, just like Dave uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 7. Many of us are familiar with that chapter. He said, though I would do good, I want to do good, but when I do good, evil is present with me. That every time I try to do good, like it goes back and forth the way he writes it. And he, and so he sees that there is another law in his members. And in this, this law abiding David, there was another law abiding in his members. And he's acknowledging that. And he says, against thee and thee only have I sinned, and I've done this evil in thy sight, that you may be justified when you speak and clear when you judge. But when he says, behold, and that is an exclamation of where you're now, because see, this prayer, we read it like, against thee and thee only have I sinned. You have to understand that this man was so broken and so destroyed at what he i mean he's now he's exposed because nothing is well i say worse but it's the best thing that can happen but when you are exposed by god and there's no more refuge for your sin and there's nowhere to go nowhere to hide and your sins are laid open before him before the eyes of whom with whom we have to do you every it's like this holy light comes upon you us and we have like i said there's nowhere to flee for refuge because he is the refuge for our sin
But when he says, behold, he was, that is an exclamation of where you're yelling out your inward man, your spirit man is crying out, behold, behold me, God. He said, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. And when I look at that part, I was shapen in iniquity. Now, there is an obviousness to this. We could say, well, you know, we're, we're, we need to be born again. We were born into this world. And even though we're born as innocent little babies, yet we have this body of sin and this body of death that we're in. David didn't know that, but he knew enough to say, look, I was shapen in iniquity. And so I, when he says I was shaped in iniquity, he's not saying I was shaped in iniquity from my family. He's acknowledging there's something in him that shaped him. And I would even venture to say that through his life, look, this is this was a beautiful man, a good man, an upright, godly man, but he was a man. And he was tempted by the enemy. And he lusted after another man's wife. And then it, that sin was a path and it was a road that took him down to the pit of darkness. Where now he's got blood on his hands. He's got another man's wife that he took from a beautiful, godly man. The baby he had with Bathsheba passed away. This was a pivotal point for David for the rest of his life. He said, I was shaped in iniquity, meaning the practice of it. That means I would take that and I'm not insisting on it. But I am claiming this for my own self and not even expecting you to receive it, but I'm putting it out there. If I was to say I'm shaped by something, that means that there's there's something about myself that there's a shape to it. That's almost a different persona. And the thing that shaped me is the thing that's in me. It's a give me that I was conceived in sin, meaning the sinful nature, but that there's been something in my life that has been iniquitous, that has shaped me. And we can be these Christians that are, yes, I was born in sin and I've, 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 I've gone on to be attentive to the reading of his word and I'm involved in church. And, and I mean that in the purest way, but there's something inside that has been there shaped by something in you. That's alive. It was alive in him. He said, I was shaped in it. And he was saying, look, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So on a double note, he's saying, look, I know, like, obviously he knows everybody being a godly man is prone to sin. Who doesn't sin? His even uh, 
It says in Ecclesiastes, for there is no man that has not sinned. Job says that. Paul says that. Our beloved Lord Jesus says that above all else. He goes on to say, behold, thou desirest truth. So he cries out again, behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, which is the soul. And in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. See, that's your spirit, man. See, he's talking about this outer man, this man that was born in sin. His parents were godly, but he's born with a sin nature. But he realizes there is something that's misshapen about him. And he goes on to say, and I skipped a few verses because I want to get in here. When he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. He's looking, when he says, create in me a clean heart. That's his soul. Remember, he said, make me to know truth. Thou shalt make me to know truth. Make me to know truth in my inward parts, my soul. You know, that's a, that is a new shape that he was now taking on. That God had to allow that awful, those awful sins to happen. Because it smashed down everything, exposed that iniquity, that shape. He smashed that shape in him that was shapen by iniquity. And I can just see him. He was so expressive with himself. I could just see David falling down alone, hearing those words of Nathan and then getting himself out of the room and maybe running to some place where no one's going to bother him. And he falls down because he was a man after God's own heart in spite of the murder, in spite of all the other people he hurt because a lot of people were hurt by this. And the ultimate thing is he said, I did it against you. And so when he says, create in me a clean heart. In other words, Lord, smash the shape, reshape me, reshape my heart because that iniquity was in my heart all along. It was just so hidden and I kept it tampered down. I was good at not showing it. They were the secret sins. When he says, renew a right spirit in me, that comes with a new shape. Create and renew. And then he says, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Because that tells me the Lord withdrew himself. You know, we have a withdrawing God. He will withdraw his presence from us when we sin or if we're misshapen in iniquity and there's something that is living in us shaped by some mortal thing that's been there our whole life 
and we think is laying dormant until one day the enemy is allowed to tempt us and that thing comes out like a bear out of the woods robbed of her whelps. He says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And then he says, now uphold me with your free spirit. In other words, I'm going to be free in the spirit. See, his spirit was so destroyed. He had a broken spirit. He had a contrite heart. The sacrifices of God are not blood offerings of bulls and of goats. God said that. He said, burnt offering and sin offering, I would not, but that my, he said, my ears, he opened. In other words, he wants us, God wants us, Jesus Christ wants us to hear something said to us that we could not otherwise have heard, lest the enemy was allowed to tempt us. And then we fall and we smash into a billion atomic particles. And now we're ready to hear, but in a different way. We realize that this external offerings to God of our perfect church attendance and our Bible readings and our um, uh, work that we do for the Lord, God will smash that down. In fact, we want him to. I do. Then he says, restored, when he says, and uphold me, then the final thing, not the final thing, but I'm going to end this part right here where he says, then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. See, now he crossed over a threshold and the man he was before was no longer alive again. He's a new man. And now he says, then will I teach transgressors thy ways. And you know what? Nothing, nobody can teach anything unless they first experienced it themselves. You can tell. You can tell when somebody is preaching the word, where they've been broken, where they did it, they blew it. They shattered everything and were brought back, in a sense, from the sides of the pit. Now he's being upheld by the Lord's free spirit. Uphold me with your free spirit. Because you know what the bottom line is? Freedom. You see, everything about Jesus is freedom. And there are things in all of us that don't let us be free. I want to share something with you. Along with this, I was thinking about King Solomon. Well, when you read Proverbs, the very beginning, it says the words of King Solomon. Now, we know what King Solomon did. The very first cardinal act of sin was the very thing he was told not to do. Is he married a foreign woman, Pharaoh's daughter? And then he went on to have, what is it, 700 wives and 300 concubines. And then he built idols because of all those women that turned them away from God. But 
I fully believe after the kingdom was torn from him and he would only be allowed to have the two Judah and Benjamin of southern Israel and I believe he repented for what he did and Ecclesiastes 12 9 he begins by saying the words of the preacher he doesn't even look he doesn't say he's no longer looking at himself as the words of the king now he's saying in the beginning the words of the preacher in a sense he laid in his humility as kingship down he was a new man ecclesiastes 12 9 it says and moreover because the preacher was wise he still taught the people knowledge yea he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs but the part where it says he still taught the people what did his dad what did it say about his dad then will i teach transgressors thy way and sinners shall be converted unto thee you see there's a time when god has to smash down something inside of each one of us because he will bring to light our secret sins in the light of his countenance because of his mercy because he doesn't want you to be unfree he doesn't want you to have some dark something happening inside of you that you were misshapen by in luke 3 22 it says and the holy ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him jesus christ and a voice from heaven said thou art my, my beloved son in thee i am well pleased but it said in a bodily shape so we see the holy spirit the holy ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove and remained remained upon the lord and jesus says in john 5 37 and he's speaking to his disciples and he says and the father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape and in all of this there's always something trying to shape us there's people out there that are trying to like in galatians paul says there are some that want you to be are trying to compel you to be circumcised so they can boast about your flesh be very careful about what and who is shaping you we are misshapen in sin were we conceived but later on iniquity is shaping us so many things shape us So many circumstances shape us it's not always just people it could be illness it could be somebody who suffers from oppression or depression or people that are lonely these things are shaping them and they're not necessarily iniquitous what I saw in this today, that there's a new shape that came by Jesus Christ 
for we have seen his shape, though we haven't seen him face to face. And he's making us, he wants to make us in his image, in his shape, so to speak. And I can't help to think about Peter and how he denied Jesus Christ. He probably thought, I'm just going to go fishing. You know, I blew it. I'm just going to go back to my former life. But God used that shattering heart melting experience of seeing Jesus look at him when he denied him for the third time. See, Jesus wants to change us and make us like his son. And we have to learn to let go. We have to learn to admit and let that there is, if there, if we're sensing that there's something against us, let me just share this with you. I thought about Malachi 2, 13 through 14, and it says, and this ye have done again. See, he's talking about a repetitive action. You're covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying out insomuch that he regardeth not the offering anymore, or receive it, receives it with good will at your hand. Yet you say, what well, wherefore? Because the Lord has been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet she is thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And to some people would say, well, I don't have a problem with my marriage or I'm not even married yet. I use this as a platform, a springboard to say there's many of us. We can we wonder what is holding back? What is holding God back? I'm. I'm covering the altar with his tears again and again with weeping and I'm crying out to him. Yet he's not regarding any of my offerings to him in prayer. He's not receiving anything of my hand. And but God does speak and he says, but the Lord has been witness. The Lord is witness uh, of things in your life that have come between me and you. So you could do this again and again. If there is any sin in you, any iniquity, don't feel like you have to all of a sudden jump off the deep end and dive into, because uh, a lot of people do this. And I want to, I just want to pull the plug on this. There's people that go over and over and over and over again, and they begin to beg and they begin to plead with God and they begin to cry out, show me my sin, show me my iniquity, show me, show me, show me. And if there is nothing, then there is nothing. But you don't have to beg God like that. Trust me when I tell you, trust him. If there is something, he will be the first one to acknowledge your first action, interaction with him. And he doesn't come to cast you down. There, you have no idea how many people write to me. And they're always so broken. And I I do, you know, they, they say things like, I feel like God is mad at me. And like, I, I like to bring up this certain person I knew from so many years ago. She is to this day, one of the most beautiful believers I know. I, I lost contact with her, but for the years that I knew her, it was like almost every time I saw her, even though she was on fire for Christ, loving the Lord, being a light that shines in the dark places, yet she was always beating herself up like, I think God is mad at me. I think God is mad at me. I think God is mad at me. And it seemed like no matter how much I said to her, 
with love and showing her verses that say, God is not mad at you at all. God loves you. And he is not up there with a little, you know, tallying up every little thing you're doing. And even the things that she was doing weren't even bad. Like she was like, I've just gotten busy with my grandkids and I haven't spent time with my Bible in my Bible. And I'm busy with my daughters and I just haven't spent time with prayer because I'm taking care too of my my mom and dad who have dementia in the back room. And, and I'm like, why would you think God is mad at you? Well, because I don't spend time in the word like I did before. I'm like, you are spending time in the word. You're, you're, the word is in you. That's what it says. And no matter what I said, she could never, ever, I don't know about now, but there are so many people that write to me, men and women, and they are always in this place of self-deprecation before the Lord. And, and, and that, that comes from something they were shaped in, something shaped them that told them that they had no worth in their life, that they didn't live up to something. But there's something in them that needs to be shattered and reshaped in them by the Lord creating in them a clean heart. And from a clean heart, renewing a right spirit. See, because it's not this external religious life that makes us free. We're upheld by his free spirit. Not the covering the altar with tears and with weeping and with crying out only to hear silence. There's other reasons God doesn't answer for other things, but I'm not talking about that today. I'm talking about this was a king the greatest king that ever lived whom Jesus Christ would be part of his lineage who committed murder who committed adultery and even in his old age he still blew it one of his sons from he had many wives raped his daughter and he did nothing about it and he was told at the end the sword will not leave your house. But the last words of David that he said, and I believe it's in Second uh, Chronicles, he says, Though it be not so with me, with my house, yet thou hast been, he talked about what God has been to him, Thou hast ordered all things for me, steadfast and sure, for this is all my desire and all my hope. Let yourself off the hook. Stop beating yourself up. We've all been misshapen by the brutality of people, this world, rejection. And things come out of us that we're shocked over. We didn't know that was in us. This was a, this was a life-changing experience forever. And I do not believe till his death 
that he just went on like, okay, now I'm forgiven. You take that for the rest of your life. So did Peter. You know, when we, when we read first and second Peter, we don't hear anything that he ever spoke about. He never speaks about when he rejected Christ. But we hear it. We hear it. We feel that spirit of his in the things he says. We need to take on a new shape. The shape of Christ being made conformable unto his death. Being made new in the spirit. Being shaped in the Christ character. In the shape of his love. In the shape of his mercy. In the shape of his joy. In the shape of his love. Because love predicates everything. Otherwise, everything we're doing, and we could sit as a great king like David did. And we could, something is in us, shaped in iniquity. Let Christ reshape you. Don't be afraid. And don't try to bang on his door either. If there's nothing there, there's nothing there. And maybe he's not going to show you right away. And when he does show you, it won't be like when Satan does it, where he casts you down to his feet in shame and that there's no hope for you and you're just never going to get it right. That's from Satan. But when he does it, he re refreshes you. He washes you. Blots out your transgressions. He washes you thoroughly from your iniquity. He cleanses you from your sin. As long as you acknowledge your transgression and your sin that is ever before you. It could be even a sin of disposition where you're always getting mad at people all the time. Or you're back, back not backstabbing, but saying little cutting words about people. You know, there comes a point where Jesus is going to deal with your life. He's not going to let you continue on forever in those misshapen things within you. He's just not. You know why? Because he loves you. And he wants to make you a partaker of his divine nature. So he can uphold you with his free spirit. Amen. I pray the Lord shatter everything that needs to be shattered in you so you will know and that great light coming in and shining and you will become a new man or woman because these people were never the same again not ever not ever a great apostle a great king and that puts us all in the same spot. Like Jeremiah said to Baruch, Baruch, seekest thou great things? Seeketh them not. Because there's nothing great about anything. The only greatness is God, is Jesus Christ. And to be shaped like him.
in all holiness and all manner of his righteousness. Shalom to you.